through life, we often look to things that are coming in the future, certain milestones. You know, often children can't wait to grow up or even adults can't wait to get to that next phase of life, right? that next milestone that they see coming. And you put your time in at school so that you can graduate and maybe have a career. Or you save so you can make that major purchase. You invest in your family and your children to see the fruit of your labors and to see them follow the Lord. And what is it that you look forward to? How often have you looked forward to a milestone in your own life, a graduation, a marriage, children or grandchildren? Why? Why do we do that? And what makes us look forward to the future? I can imagine the joy of future blessing that we look forward to, a satisfaction in a job well done. And there is a certain virtue in following the ways of the Lord and enjoying that fruit of our labor. For the Christian, we are waiting for something great. The coming of the Lord. So even as we live in this broken world, we live with the curse of sin surrounding us. And there is a certain goodness in his kingdom, even now. There's a present aspect to that kingdom. The scripture instructs us what is right and good. So that David can say in Psalm 25, teach me to know your ways, O Lord. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his ways. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So it's a great promise following the ways of the Lord. Yet, our lives and our experience here is continually tarnished by the weight of sin. It's thwarted, it's undone. There is a curse that we live under in this world. And there are times when you say, how long, O Lord, before you will remove that curse from the world that you've created? Listen, now we come to Isaiah 60 this week where a bigger picture is laid out before us. This is a big milestone. It's a turning point that all of history is building towards. The first few verses, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. This is a promise of hope. And over the past few chapters of Isaiah, we looked at how Israel sinned, and they were condemned for that sin. Isaiah 58, in particular, pointed out the sinfulness of sin. And they were under the oppression of foreign armies, foreign countries, and they lamented and asked the Lord why. But the answer was that they had oppressed their own people, and God called them out for it. So brothers and sisters, our integrity matters. 
right? People will misrepresent you. They will manipulate the rules to win. But we are called to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And this call to holiness is repeated in Isaiah, and we see it again in Isaiah 59, the next chapter, where they were met with the reality of their brokenness, and then yet, at the end of the chapter, the Lord then promises a redeemer. So the Lord has held them to the standard and called them to repentance, and repeatedly they're unable to repent, and then the Lord says, I will provide a redeemer for them. So he would redeem them when they could not redeem themselves. And we know this world is broken. We know that there is great hurt. We lament sin that leads to death. But God promises that he will accomplish redemption for his own glory. And at the end of that chapter, there is this promise of a new covenant. That's established with his people and administered by the Spirit of God. And that sets us up. It brings us to chapter 60 where we are this morning. A promise of hope that God restores what was broken. And he will make right what is wrong. And he will bring life where there was death. And he will walk again in the presence of his people. So it's a return to what God intended in creation. It's a return to the garden. When I spoke on Isaiah 35, several months back, I pointed out how God will undo the curse of sin. And there's a similar theme here in chapter 60, right? Setting right what is broken. And in the grand narrative of history, that is the ultimate milestone that we look forward to when God will set right. Okay, so zooming way out, we see that the whole creation groans under the curse of sin, to this day, right? Eagerly expecting that day when the Lord will come. And in the prophets, you see a reference to that day, that future day. And it is right that Christians patiently and also eagerly await the coming of that day, the wait, the coming of the Lord. And so what we're going to see this week is that the nations come And what was broken will be made right, and that the Lord will abide with his people. So let's start looking at the opening of Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 9. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, and your heart shall be Thrilled and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news and praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedah shall be gathered to you. 
the rams of Nebiah, shall minister to you, that they shall come with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are those that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and their gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. So notice those promises from the previous chapters, specifically in 58 verse 8 and 59 verse 20. There's a, a talk of this light breaking, the dawn coming. Light will break forth like the dawn. Right? This is the context of them turning from their sin. A redeemer will come and God himself will be their light. And that, that's right at the edge of, of the end of chapter 59. It brings us up to this section. And now we see redemption described in detail in chapter 60. Okay? In the midst of darkness, the light of God will shine. Notice this is the O sleeper awake, right, that we see in Galatians. Or sorry, Ephesians, in Ephesians. And this is, um, you know, this is something new, right? This is, this is a turning point. Right? The nations will see the sinfulness of sin. And they will see that turning against God has brought them darkness and despair. And they will come to the Lord, similar to Isaiah 35, right, where the people were brought in. And here in chapter 60, as the nations come, they partake in the redemption that is given to Zion. The ESV Study Bible puts it this way. God will put his beauty upon his people, attracting the nations. So note the context from 59 and 61, right? The two surrounding chapters just preceding here, the chapter talked about that new covenant that was promised, and that, that ends chapter 59. And then in chapter 61, we see this promise that Jesus quotes in Luke 4 concerning himself, right? The coming of his kingdom and his ministry, In 61.1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. So 59 ends with this promise of the new covenant. 60 begins with this promise of Christ's ministry. And right there in between, chapter 60 is all about the restoration that comes from the Lord in that future day, in his new kingdom. And so, chapter 60, verse 4 says, the nations will gather. They will come from afar, and they're called sons. Believers can look expectantly for the people to come to the Lord, to believe. And some may ask, is this Israel, or is this the church? And the answer is yes. Right, there's at least a partial fulfillment seen in Israel, and there does seem to be a greater fulfillment seen in the church, and that is the traditional interpretation, and there are many connections you can see to this passage in the New Testament as well, in the broader section of Isaiah. For example, Revelation 21 alludes back to this chapter, Isaiah 60. And then in verses 5 through 7, right, so what is this light that God brings? 
verses 5 through 7 speaks of this blessing that comes to God's people. And they respond with gratitude to the light that God has shown upon him. They proclaim the praises of the Lord, it says. There's many reasons that somebody might postulate that these nations come. Right, to honor Israel, to gain favor, to be a vassal. It says that they come to proclaim the praises of the Lord. It's good news. The nations come to proclaim the praises of our God. And this continues into verses 7, 8, and 9, and 10. And they come for the honor of the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. See how much of a contrast this is to what we see of the foreign nations throughout the Old Testament. Right? In the Old Testament, they are idolaters. Right? Keep away from the idolatrous nations. And here, they come as worshipers of our God. So this describes the nations coming as they see the beauty of the Lord, and that has made the people beautiful. And these ships that come from Tarshish are bringing material wealth. And so what are we to make of that? Is this about restoring Judah from exile? Is this a metaphor for blessing that comes to people? Is, or is it fulfilling a messianic promise? Of when Christ returns. And people have given different opinions, but there may be some types involved here, but the ultimate fulfillment comes in Christ's kingdom. And as we keep going through here, I think we're going to see that. The main thing to take away is that these blessings come to make the name of the Lord great. The wealth is about worship of the Lord. And so when, when evil comes, we're called to lament. We saw that back in the previous two chapters. And in all things, we are called to give glory to the Lord. And we, we see that coming in these verses here. And so in the previous chapters that called for lament, when the people sinned, they were called to take their sin seriously. We've seen reasons to remit, re, uh, lament and repent recently in our own experience here, in our own nation you know, Ivaldi continues to be in the news. Brett sent an email a few weeks ago uh, lamenting uh, sexual abuse. And in that email, he urged us to lament, to renew our hatred for sin, to increase our care for image bearers, to practice accountability and discipline, to pursue deeds that align with the gospel. And to give thanks when appropriate. And I think you can see all those things in these broader section of chapters from Isaiah. But here, in this chapter, we see good come to them because of the blessing of the Lord. And his light has shined upon them. And when good comes, they are, they are giving Praise to God for what he has done. So give thanks to God when you're able to partake of his goodness. Right? Recognize that the wealth of nations is to give him glory. Not, it's not for our glory. And ultimately we're to give glory to God in all things. 
We see ourselves and others as image bearers. We should honor the Lord in our life and actions. Our response to situations should be in light of the gospel and the work of the Spirit in our own lives. And so we see that what was broken will be made right. Let's keep reading in verse 10. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy upon you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They shall not be shut. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you will perish. Those nations shall utterly be laid to waste. The glory of Lebanon shall not come to you, or shall come to you, sorry. And the cypress, the plain, and the pine to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflict you shall come bending low to you. And all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Those who come and build up walls. What do walls mean? Normally they mean safety, security. But in verse 11, the gates are open. So though there is security... There's peace here. They don't have to close the gates. So walls show strength and protection from foreign armies, but these gates are open because there's no army to attack. The people who come to build, they come to do just that, to build and not to destroy. And those ships from Tarshish, you know, they're coming, they're bringing materials instead of bringing foreign armies. And notice how in the previous chapters, it was the foreign armies that they were afraid of. They were concerned about the oppression from these foreign nations. It was a consequence of their sin. And they had oppressed their own people, and the foreign nations would oppress them. And now, the opposite happens. God has stepped forward to redeem his people at the end of Isaiah 59. And the restoration he brings includes foreign nations being an instrument of that restoration. So God turns the world upside down. Or maybe better it would be to say that he turns it right side up. What was broken will be made right. The consequences of sin are no more. The curse is undone. And when the people sinned, the result was exile. The four nations were used to discipline God's people, but now God has brought righteousness and the nations are a blessing to his people. And those nations will now call Zion the city of the Lord. It's a city with open gates and there is peace in the land. And in verse 12, there's an element where serving God is serving his people. There's a kind of a corporate identity between God and his people. 
The, the nations come to serve in verse 10, following from the nations coming to worship the Lord in verses 6 through 9. But there's this shift in verses 11 through 14. Some nations will not come, and those nations will perish. In the scripture, you see two ways laid out. In the prophets, right, there's a contrast between single-minded devotion to the Lord and those who have this compromise, this way of self-serving benefit. You see throughout scripture these two ways of following the Lord and not following the Lord. And we see that in the Gospels, right? Some will follow and others will reject him. There will be a day of judgment. And the sweet hope of redemption will be in the midst of judgment. And again, we see the solidarity between God and his people. Serving God is serving his people, right? In in verses 13 through 16, when the nations come, it will bring beauty to the worship of the Lord. Back in Isaiah 35, we looked at the effect of sin. It made the land a wilderness, a desert. But in Isaiah 35, the curse being undone, the desert would spring forth in life. It would become fruitful. There's a similar image here where before the people labored with difficulty, a direct effect of the curse, now they enjoy fruitfulness and wealth instead of poverty. And this is a result of the redemption that comes from the Lord. So in verse 13, the glory of Lebanon will come. And this is material wealth, but again, God's people are blessed. It's to honor the Lord first and foremost. And this wealth is not primarily about honoring people in themselves. It's about honoring God. And his image and his covenant people all become uh, tied up in that because they belong to the Lord. And so this wealth is brought to beautify the sanctuary and worship of our God. And notice how the wealth of the nations is brought to bear on the worship of the Lord. What are we to think of this? Is it to beautify the sanctuary, the city of God? Or to beautify the, the place of my sanctuary and I will make the place of my feet glorious, he says. And in verse 14, those who once afflicted God's people will now come with praise. But that praise is not directly for them. The, the, it's praise to the Lord. They come to serve and honor God's people as an honor to the Lord. And all this is consistent with verse 9. For the honor of the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you, it says. So this glorification of God's people is a reflection of the honor and glory that's given unto God. As the image is restored, God is glorified in us. Right? And here we see it brought to fruition. This, this is a future day. Right? This, this isn't health, wealth, and prosperity. Right? This is looking forward to that future day when God will restore. And those who were afflicted and passed over will find joy and blessing. In essence, the first shall be last and the last first. Right? Where they once were persecuted, now they will receive joy. And in verse 16, the Lord says that he is their savior, the mighty one of Jacob, their redeemer. They don't bring this new life on their own. It comes from the Redeemer of Israel. So this imagery of hostility is replaced 
by peace. The imagery of wilderness is replaced by wealth and beauty. And in chapter 59, God provides a redeemer for Israel. And here we see it explicitly. I am the Lord and your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Right? This curse of sin has been undone by the Redeemer. So the Lord is the one who brings restoration, and we were made to bring glory to him. And so he will bring this to pass. A few weeks ago, Brett preached from Revelation 10, which spoke of a sweet hope in the midst of bitter persecution. And Isaiah 60 points to that sweet hope. Right? That is that sweet hope something that you are trusting in? Knowing that the Lord will bring this to pass. He'll bring it to completion, to wholeness, to fullness, to restoration. Is that your hope? And we were made to bring glory to the Father. Brothers and sisters, know that you are redeemed for a certain purpose, right? For uh, unto something. Right? We're redeemed. Who are you redeemed to be? And what are you redeemed unto? We are made to bring glory to the Father. As image bearers, we reflect his glory. For, for now, that image is tarnished by sin. But we look forward to that day when the Lord will bring restoration. When the image will be restored in fullness. So, for now, it's our role to live in light of the gospel and in the power of his spirit as his people. And our mission is his mission. And we have the honor of participating in that work of his plan. Right? This mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as Ephesians 5 says, that, you know, sleeper awake. We, that section in Ephesians is referencing this. It's talking about walking in wisdom. But we should walk in wisdom. So as we go about life, we honor him. And we know that he is the one who will restore what is broken and make it right. Okay, so last section here. Finishing out the chapter. Let me start in 15. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk from, of nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, and instead of stones, iron, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall be no, no more heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day nor for brightness shall the moon give you light but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory your sun shall be no or shall no more go down nor the moon withdraw itself 
For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. Let me stop there for just a second. Notice the contrast. Earlier chapters, he's calling them to righteousness. In the midst of their compromise, he's calling them to righteousness. And here he says, your people shall all be righteous. This is a new covenant promise. Something is different here. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord in its time I will hasten it. And now we see how God brings about this great reversal. Right? The chapter opens with O sleeper awake. And now we see the light shining upon them. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. So there that implies that everything will be better. Right? The Lord will bring something better than he had before. Much better. It's better beyond belief. And there's three things that we see about their their new nation, their new community here. There's better materials. There's better government. And there's better leaders. there's, There's better materials. There's peace. It's a peaceful government. And there's righteousness among the people. We're taken together, there's a permanence and a safety here. Verse 18 reinforces this conclusion. Violence and destruction are replaced with peace and righteousness. War brings great destruction. It does not bring this kind of stability. Safety and security are there. But that security comes from where? comes from the Redeemer. Peace and righteousness are the two main aspects of this new society. The the grace of God has so transformed the people that their government is in direct contrast to the governments of the world as we know them. The Redeemer establishes this new epoch, and it's a stark contrast with the past. And the people of the world bear the weight of unrighteous leaders to this day and poor governance. But it's different here in God's kingdom. And so closing out this chapter, we see that the Lord himself will be an everlasting light to them. Right, The sun and moon are no longer their light. They get their light from somewhere else, the Lord. And their hope comes from the Lord. That's an everlasting hope. The days of mourning have ended, and God will take what was broken and make it right, and the people themselves shall be righteous. This is something different than our present experience. This is that future day. So, why will they be righteous? 
right? Because the Lord has undone the curse, right? And its effects. They, they received the promises that were given to Abraham. If you trace the story of redemption through Scripture, this is the fulfillment of that story. They're a branch of the Lord's planting, the work of his hands. God will recreate a new people who will follow his way from the heart. Right? That is a new covenant promise. And this is a new kingdom. He says it's the branch of his planting, the work of his hands. Christ is the vine. The people are the branches. God is the vine dresser, the gardener, the one who will bring all this into being. And he has made them that he might be glorified. The Lord is the one who will bring this to pass. Where else do we see this? Is there anywhere else in scripture where you see this? So Revelation 21, we'll get there. I don't know how many weeks. 26 more weeks, we'll get there. Right. Revelation 21, verse 22 says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring it into, into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Seems almost one for one, doesn't it? Between these two chapters. Do you see the parallels? Christ will complete the work that he started. God will be with his people, and he himself will be their light. And his presence represents the completion of that redemption that comes from God. This is a return to the garden. So garden and temple imagery in scripture kind of go together. Right? We have a temple when there is no garden. It's, it's God's presence among his people and among the world. And notice that when this is restored, there is no temple there any longer. Because this is the restoration of the garden. This is when God walks with his people again. So in his, his presence with his people represents the completion of redemption. It's a return to the garden. So, again, this is a new covenant promise, right? We, we explored that last time from Isaiah 59, but we see it again here. Your people shall be righteous. Note that there's actual righteousness here. And they're the planning of the Lord for his glory. I am the Lord... In its time, I will hasten it, he says. The Lord is the one who will make this happen. Okay, we see 
some similar things promised in Christ's advent in Luke. Luke chapter 1. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Right, light and darkness, the way of peace. Luke tells us in this passage, this pointing to the Messiah and the work of Christ, what he's coming to do. And Isaiah chapter 60 is what he will do. So in the broader scope of Isaiah, God calls for a people who will live righteously. And they're not able to do that because they're bound in their sin. And then he offers redemption. And that pattern is repeated, right? It, it, there's, there's, they're dealing with their sin in 58. They're dealing with their sin again in 59. And yet we see this better promise that's given. It's new life that's brought by the Redeemer. And a new and better covenant is established. And here in Isaiah 60, we see again a righteous people. But their new life is founded in a new and better covenant. And in the Redeemer who does this work in their lives and in their hearts. By the work of the Spirit. They are the planting of the Lord for his glory. He says he will do it. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Right? The Lord is the one who will bring it to pass. We see this in the Gospels, right? Jesus is the Redeemer who came, and he's the one who is anointed to bring this new kingdom, to create a new people who are being renewed by the work of the Spirit. And there are people upon whom the light of the Lord shines. And they're the ones who were once asleep but are now awake. And they're the people who are created for the glory of the Lord. And they are the ones who await that day that the Lord will make all things right and again walk with his people. And so if you are among his people, do you say, how long, O Lord, before you come in that day? When the curse will be undone and the Lord will abide with his people. And we look forward to that time when sin ends. But even more, we look for a time when the garden will be restored and when God will be present and walk again with us. And so these are not separate things. Right? It's easy for us to just think of sin as sin, don't sin, or have faith in Jesus, switch in heaven. This is the ultimate end that God is driving towards. The curse being undone and the Lord abiding with us. This is the culmination of his redemptive plan. Christ's church is the first fruits of that redemption. And in Christ, this redemption will be brought to completion in that day. So when you look forward to the future, what are you looking forward to? Right. Sin is tragic. And seeing people make poor life decisions seeing people hurt their own lives and the lives of others, and seeing people dishonor God, and seeing how sin destroys their lives. And we say, Lord, come. Lord, come. And I have to ask you, do you believe that God will come and bring 
restoration to this world. You come to services, to the worship of the Lord. You sit through sermons. Is this true? And if it is, are you eagerly awaiting the coming of the Lord? Lord, come. And in the midst of despair over sin in this world, we, we have this hope. He says, I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. If you don't know the Lord this morning, then I plead with you to place your trust in him and look forward to the redemption that he is bringing to this world. That you could say with us, come, Lord. Come. 